following is a presentation of Main Street Media, your source for news, sports, and information on Main Street in Middle Tennessee. State tournament time here on the Full Court Press with Zach Womble covering high school sports all across Sumner County. Now get in that two-point stance. Here's your host, Zach Womble. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Full Court Press podcast. We, of course, did not record last week, so I missed you guys. I hope you missed me, too. Excited to jump into what we got going today. But as you know, when you see the hoop, you know what time it is. So before we get started, though, as always, I need you to do me a favor. Please like, subscribe, and rate the podcast wherever you may be listening. It helps me out so much. I want to say thank you to the fans who tune in each and every week to listen to me ramble about Sumner County sports, Sumner County basketball. You, of course, can follow me on Twitter at Zach Womble MSP and the show on Twitter at FCP underscore MSP. And while you're at it, go ahead and turn on those notifications so you never miss an episode. Let's tip things off this week talking about really the only thing that's going on, and that is state tournament basketball. Of course, we had three teams advance to the Murphy Center after sectional wins, that of course being both the Beach Girls and Beach Boys basketball team, as well as the Westmoreland Girls basketball team. Beach Boys, Beach Girls in the state tournament together for the first time since 1990, Beach Girls in the state tournament for the first time since 2003, and the boys for the first time since 2010. I, of course, was able to cover the Beach Boys in their sectional win. I was able to cover Westmoreland, uh, who was back in the state tournament for the first time since 2014-15, uh, in their sectional win over East Robertson. Let's start things off with the girls. We'll start off with the girls game that I was able to see, the sectional round, Westmoreland versus East Nashville. Westmoreland able to get a easy – well. I say easy. It, it looked easier than probably what it was. I'm sure EJ Perry and the crew will tell you it, there was nothing easy about it. But Westmoreland, wire-to-wire victory, uh, scoring the most points that East Nashville had given up all season, 56. Um, just a just an overall team performance for them, whether that be Emma Wright, whether that be Elena Eckel, whether that be Anna Creasy, uh, you name it, the girls were able to just get the job done at home. That atmosphere was incredible. Let me just say that first and foremost. You know, I made the comment that it was the best atmosphere that I experienced all season, and I was actually privileged enough to see Beat Boys versus Lebanon at Hendersonville High School in their region championship, and that atmosphere was incredible. But I, I don't know if it, it was because the gym is smaller at Westmoreland or what players may be more on top – or excuse me, fans more on top of you – but it just felt like that every time either one team made a play, the, the crowd would roar, and I could just not hear myself think, um, especially for the Westmoreland crowd. East Nashville did a really good job as well, showing up and showing out, cheering for their Lady Eagles. Speaking of the Lady Eagles, it was actually a battle for the color of red and the nickname the Lady Eagles as both Westmoreland and East Nashville uh, share that name. Westmoreland, of course, able to come out on top. So do they get to claim the color red for the next year? Do they get to claim that the, the Lady Eagles nickname? I don't know. You be the judge of that. But just an incredible, incredible atmosphere. You know, EJ Perry cited that prior to the game, about three hours prior to the game, they had just uh, they had fans in the, in the parking lot filling up the, the, the stadium, playing cornhole, uh, grilling out, have, just having a good time, enjoying fellowship with one another. 
7 p.m. tip-off. Their fans were in their seats, ready to go by 6 o'clock. And when those Lady Eagles of Westmoreland ran out into the crowd, it honestly sent chills down my spine. It was it was an electric atmosphere. And then, to top all that off, I hadn't seen this all season. I, I'd seen, I've seen it before, whether that be at the college ranks or wherever, but they shut the lights off. They turned the spotlight on. The announcer got into it and really, really brought them onto the floor, the starters that was. And so just being able to see that, all the lights shut off, the spotlight shined on the, the starters, that was really, really cool. Like I said, I hadn't seen that uh, all season long from anybody here in Sumner County. I don't know if they do that on a on a game-by-game basis. If so, awesome. But if not, really cool for, for them to kind of spotlight their girls the way that they did. Uh, they, of course, like I said, booked their trip, punched their ticket to the glass house. Unfortunately, their season did come to an end on Tuesday. We're recording this show on Thursday. Their, 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 their season came to an end on Tuesday, 29-4, losing to Alcoa. You can check out my story Brett Burwagger's photo gallery on MainStreetPreps.com. Losing to Alcoa, as I just mentioned. You know, EJ Perry cited in that story that there just wasn't a lot of tape to to scout the Pfeiffer sisters. Pfeiffer sisters transferred in from the King's Academy of Knoxville. So they were actually ineligible to play until February 1. So they actually only had three game films on them. And Amelia, uh, the bigger the bigger of the of the two sisters, she was a low post president. She was a low post nightmare for them. Um, their guards did a really good job of switching and, and just can, kind of controlling the pace at the top of the key around the perimeter. Um, you know, EJ was very careful in his words because he, he obviously doesn't want to get in trouble by the TWSAA. But with as much as with as much as how Westmoreland just attacked the rim. Uh, on a possession-by-possession basis, you would think they would shoot more free throws. They only shot 18. Granted, you know, they didn't they didn't shoot well from the free throw line. Uh, but West, uh, but Alcoa actually shot 34. So 34 to 18 free throw disparity. And it looked like Westmoreland actually attacked the rim more than, than Alcoa did. And I can say this because I'm not a coach and, you know, I, you know, I'm a media member of free speech and all that stuff. You know, there are several instances where, Westmoreland would drive to the rim, drive to the bucket, and get hacked and fouled, and they just wouldn't get the call. You know, I made the joke to EJ that he must have he must have made the refs mad pregame or, or something because they just were not getting the benefit of the whistle. And then in the fourth quarter, you know, West or excuse me, Alcoa decided to run four corners and start stalling. And uh, as I said before, and I've said it time and time again, I said it on Twitter. You know, I, I hate it. And I said it on Saturday when when the Beach Boys played at Ravenwood, and I'll get into this in a minute, but, you know, that's just not basketball to me. I, I think that the high school association needs to implement a shot clock, and I hear, listen, I hear you, well, they don't have enough money. They don't have somebody to raise the funds. You know, I wrote a column about two years ago at this point that is, is still out there and still relevant, and if I'm being honest, I, I think I'll lay out a, a very good plan. It's very simple. So it costs about $5,000 for schools to um, get a shot clock on both goals. I'm not asking you to raise $5,000 in one year. Give it three years. You can raise $5,000 in three years. I fully believe that. And in that time, you take that time to train the refs, you train the coaches, you give the players the ability to adapt to it. And in that, you know, in that first year, implement only a shot clock during the summertime. Okay, just during summer ball, gives them a chance to get their feet wet, gives them a chance to kind of understand what's going on. That second year, put it in not only summer, but put it in the, um, say, like your Christmas tournaments and just games that really don't matter, right? Because at the end of the day, the only thing, I mean, those, you know, for public school in Sumner County, they didn't play their district games until 
uh, the, the turn of the new year. So those November, December games essentially don't matter. They're just they're there to see where you're at, what you can do, who you can face, tough competition, things of that nature. So put them put the shot clock in during that, and then the third year, implement it fully. And everybody's kind of been used to it. They're running it. So I guess when I say take the three years to, to raise the fund, so I guess it'd really be a six-year plan if you think about it, the third year being the first year, the fourth year being the second year, and so on. But, um, you know, I think it's a very simple fix, an easy fix for the TWS to play. Again, I don't like stalling. I don't think it's basketball. Uh, I think it can come back to bite you in the butt. And really, to be honest with you, I think the only people that that disagree with the shot clock are the coaches that take advantage of the rules. Um, you know, stalling with four minutes left, like, what are you doing? Like, I understand, like you're able to take advantage of the rules that are in place because there's not a shot clock and you can run one minute, two minute off offense. And so, um, you know, to continue what I'm just saying, I'm just not a fan of it. I wish the TWS to play would implement a 45 second shot clock. Uh, 30, you know, I think 35 may be a little bit too quick for high school, but if they can do it in Europe for the kids, why can't, why can't the United States of America do it? I think it would better prepare the kids for the next level when they're, where there is a shot clock and for the, you know, small majority of, of students that may get a chance, uh, to move on to the highest level possible, whether that be overseas, whether that be in the national basketball association, they're used to it. They, they've grown up playing against, and again, if they can do it across the pond, there's no reason to think why we can't do it here in America. And in fact, there's several states that do it, including Georgia, who is you know just south of the state of Tennessee. So, uh, really, I don't see any good excuse as, as to why not to do it. Um, but again, you know, I'm kind of running off on a tangent here, and it kind of goes back to the Westmoreland Alcoa game. But again, kind of to to wrap it all up, Westmoreland a really good season for them, 29 and four. They had won 25 straight games the biggest win streak in, in girls' basketball history since the turn of the millennium. And uh, and I know it was a tough end to their season, but still a wonderful se- season nevertheless for E.J. Perry and the Westmoreland Lady Eagles falling again to Alcoa in the state quarterfinals. So elite eight berth, if you will, one of the top eight teams in the state. And honestly, um, even if they had won that game, they would have moved on to, to face Westview, who – absolutely rolled Riverside in their first game. And I think they're probably going to do the same to Alcoa and probably a state state favorite to win it all. So again, great season for Westmoreland Lady Eagles, 29 and four all the way to the state tournament for the first time since 2014, 15, nothing to hang your head about. Again, I know you're going to be sad losing that game, but only one team can win it all. Only one team can cut down the nets. So only one team's going to be happy at the end of the season. Quickly transitioning to the beach lady bucks who are in the state tournament, like I mentioned, to open the show for the first time since 2003. They actually won their first game against Arlington, 62-52. to Bree Ellis was spectacular. Um, we're not doing a Player of the Week segment this week, but if I had to give it to somebody for the for the Lady Bucks, it would certainly be her. Uh, she filled up the, the box score. I mean, she, she 23 points. She had five steals, uh, several assists, several rebounds. Uh, you can actually check out that story along with Brett Burwagger's photo gallery on MainStreetPreps.com. It kind of details kind of their thoughts and their feelings. You know, no one gave them a chance to reach this point, let alone win a game in the state tournament, and here they are proving people uh, wrong. And, and, and Bree says, when when people tell us we can't do something, it's certainly motivation to go out and do it. So a big win over Alcoa, a back-and-forth game. I mean, there were several ties, several lead changes in that second half. 
Arlington actually had a two-point lead with about four and a half minutes to go and then went cold. Beach was able to hit a couple threes, one by Briellis, hit some free throws. Bailey Ford was also big in that game, scoring 11 points, grabbing 11 rebounds. Krista Dean, Briellis, Lauren Elkins after the game cited. I asked them straight up. I said, you, got, you girls have won 16 of your last 18 since January started. What has been the secret? And they cited their sophomore class, whether that be Savannah Walmer, whether that be Bailey Ford, whether that be Carson Sisk. They all played great, great minutes. Lauren Elkins gave a shout-out to Savannah Walmer, saying that she carried them for several minutes on the floor. Carson Sisk, she's an athletic guard who they put at the top for their half-court trap, and she really changed the changed the flow of the game uh, defensively for, for Beach. And so um, Bree Ellis garners the spotlight, rightfully so, scoring 23 points, helping them win. But it was a true team performance. I mean, Beach got 23 points off the bench. Um so just a, a great all, overall all-around performance. They unfortunately are going to draw probably, probably the state favorite in Bearden in round two on Friday. Um, Bearden just, you know, they're an animal. They're a monster. What they did to Blackman in the open round, I believe they defeated them by 22, the defending state champ who only had one loss on the season, which came in their district tournament championship to Oakland. Prior to that, I think they won like 44, 45 straight. Um, so Blackman was the real deal. And the way that – they were just able to dominate that game, dominate the team. Says a lot. You know, I think Bearden only has three losses on the season, two of which are to out-of-state teams, the other being to Innsworth, who is head and shoulders the best team in the state, um, you know, led by the Cambridge sisters. Uh, I believe Jelani is on the USA under-17 national team, if that goes to tell you just how good they are. Um, and to only lose it by two when Innsworth is rolling through everybody throughout the season – I think says a lot. So um, Beach has got a tall, tall task, a tall mountain to climb. Can they do it? I mean, sure. I mean, you've seen you've seen upsets all you know all throughout your life, all throughout every single sport. Uh, but do I think it's going to happen? No, I, I don't think it's going to happen. But you know what? A semifinal appearance, a, a, a top four team in the large classification, is certainly something to hang your hat on. They're they're going to be sad after what I presume to be a loss on Friday. But you know what? When you're able to step back maybe next week and kind of look at what you were able to accomplish, I think there's going to be a lot of smiles and a, and a lot of uh, good feelings about this season, especially after you started the year 7-10. and 10. You know, I asked, I asked Lauren Elkins about this. How much did that early season struggles, that early season gauntlet, prepare you for this moment? You know, they played five state tournament teams throughout different classifications, whether that be Westmoreland, whether that be Cookville, whether that be Oakland, uh, and of course I'm I'm drawing a blank on the other two teams, but it's listed um, in my in my story on MainStreetPreps.com. It's it's funny how when you're just kind of rambling and talking, how how your mind can kind of go blank, um, just of, of who of who they faced uh, this season. But again, five state tournament teams that they faced this year, they used that experience to their advantage. The moment was not too big for them. You know, this was against the Arlington team that had made five straight state tournaments. So Arlington. They essentially had had all the experience going into that game. I mean, they had played in the Murphy Center. I asked Krista Dean if, they, if it was different playing in that gym, and she said not really. You know, the, the lights were a little bit brighter, but not, not as far as, like, the stage. Like, literally, the lights to the Murphy Center were brighter. So they said they just had to do a better job of, of more focusing on the rim when they shot. But, you know, the, the depth of field wasn't any different or anything like that. Um, and so – Again, Arlington really had all the experience going into it, but Beach, when it mattered most in crunch time, fourth quarter, last four minutes, 
They're the ones that make the plays. Again, moving on to face Bearden in the semifinals of the Class 4A bracket. Probably going to have their season come to an end, but nevertheless, a great, great season for Lauren Elkins and the Beach Lady Bucks. And then closing out the show, let's talk about the boys' team for Beach High School. 34-1, and um, tying the, the Sumner County record for most wins in a season at 34, tying the 1987 Gallatin girls basketball team who cut down the nets at 34-0. Beach's lone loss, of course, coming in the region semifinals to Lebanon. They, so that means they, they, they had to go on the road and play Ravenwood uh, in a hostile environment. And as I mentioned in my, in my game story, walk in your trap, take over your trap. As white as I sound saying that, Bankroll Fresh's absolute banger of a hit, that's exactly what blared from their locker room because that's exactly what they did. They walked into their trap and they took over their trap by winning that game on the road. You know what? They tried to give it up. They tried to lose that game by stalling. That You know, Kip Brown – uh, cited that uh, you know they just kind of forgot that they were trying to score you know outside of running the bat uh, running the clock out and Ravenwood was able to get a couple stops. Uh, I wasn't able to catch up with the Ravenwood coach because after I left talking to Kip, I, I got to kind of talking to some parents about some other things. Uh, but if I could have asked one question to the Ravenwood coach, it would be why the heck did you not implement that half court trap sooner? because they were able to turn them over, they were able to get easy looks, and I think that's what's going to be Beach's downfall in the state tournament. They've got to play Bartlett in round one, potentially the second-best team in Class 4A. I would imagine Bartlett is going to try to speed them up. Their athleticism is going to try to take over that game. And, uh, you know, I know Beach fans are upset with me that, like, oh, you don't, you're not giving us a chance. And and uh, I think Russell said it best when I was on their podcast, Main Street Preps, this week. If, if you didn't hear that, you can check that out on MainStreetPreps.com. Um, you know, it's like when, when uh, analysts are – looking at quarterbacks for weeks on end prior to the draft, you start looking at somebody so many times, you just try to find any little chink in the armor. And I think that's what I'm doing with the Beach Boys basketball team. I mean, I've, I've covered so many of their games this year, and I've cited all the good things that they do. Um, but now it's just I, – I feel like I'm just trying to find something wrong with them and it, by saying I don't think they're playing their best basketball this season, by saying I don't know if they handle – pressure in the right way saying their offense is not what it was in November and December saying all these things that's not saying that they're a bad basketball team I'm just trying to find every little thing that I can at this point because I've I've pretty much you know beat a dead horse if you will just on covering them week in and week out do I think they have what it takes to make a run at it absolutely and if they can get past Bartlett I think they can get into the championship game where I think they'll eventually uh, play Kane Ridge. And, and that's a game that they've wanted all season long. Their season ended last year in the sectional round at Kane Ridge in a game that they could have won. They 1,000% could have won that basketball game last year. And I think they want to prove people that, that, that they can beat Kane Ridge. Now, do I think they can? No. Because at the end of the day, Kane Ridge, and I know, listen, every, everybody wants to look outside of Brandon Miller, and rightfully so. Kane Ridge has got a lot of great pieces, Ryan Oliver being one of them. But at the end of the day, when you roll out a basketball player in Brandon Miller who is destined to get a shot in the National Basketball Association, that's not something you overlook. That's not something you just throw to the wayside. And if they have to play as good as Eli Rice is, as good as Christian Shaw is, as good as Tyler Moore is, as good as Andrew Page is, as good as Braden Brinkley is, as good just down the line, no disrespect, 
but none of those players are, are, are making it to the National Basketball Association. It's just, I mean, I just don't think it's going to happen. And, I, and again, you know, take that for what you will. You can get mad at that. You can get upset with me at that. But that's just my two cents. That's just my opinion. You know, Brandon Miller is a top prospect in the, in the not only the state of Tennessee, but the country for a reason. And I firmly believe if there was not a one-and-done rule in college basketball, he would go straight to the National Basketball Association, and he would, could, would potentially be a lottery pick. In, in the NBA draft. So, you know, I think if if need be, if he needs to score 50, 60 points, I 1,000% think he would do that and could do that. He hasn't had to because he's got a good supporting cast and he probably wouldn't have to. But if Beach's game plan, if they ever, if they faced him, if their game plan was we're going to shut out Brandon Miller and just let Brandon Miller get what, what, he, can, what he does, he's going to drop 60. I firmly believe that he's capable of doing that. He's just a different animal at this point. And uh, but to kind of wrap it all back into into one thing, do I think they're going to beat Bartlett? I, I I don't think they're going to beat Bartlett. Would I be surprised if they beat Bartlett? No, because they're good enough to make a run. I just think Bartlett is the second best team in the state, and they're destined to play Cane Ridge um, in the state final. The best game of the opening round for Class Four A for me is actually going to be Clarksville versus Lebanon. You know, Beach plays at two fifteen, I believe. Um, and there is Kane Ridge plays after Beach and Clarksville Lebanon is actually the last game. I'm going to stick around all day at the Murphy Center just so I can check out that game because Jared Hall versus JJ Wheat I think is going to be worth the price of admission alone. So um, again, you know, Westmoreland girls, great season. Beach girls to the final four. I think their season comes to a close in the semifinal round against against um, Bearden and then the Beach boys. Regardless of how it shakes out, 34 and one, that's a hell of a season. Um, you know, if they lose their opening round game, 34 and two is nothing to hang your head on. Um, I think they could make a run. If they get past Bartlett, I 1000% think they will get to the championship game, whether they play, I think it's either maybe Coffee County or Bearden in the, uh, above them, if I'm not mistaken. I think they would be favored to beat either one of those teams. They actually already beat Bearden once this year. So, um, Granted, that was in November and 15 years ago, but they beat Ravenwood 15 years ago in November, and they went on the road and beat Ravenwood in the sectional round. So why wouldn't they be able to beat Bearden for a second time? So get if you get past Be- if you get past Bartlett, I think you get past Bearden or Coffee County, and I think you eventually play Kane Ridge. And again, I think Kane Ridge, Brandon Miller, just going to be proved to be too much. So all that's to say. A lot of fun, a lot of things happening here in Sumner County for basketball season. I really appreciate you joining me each and every week. You know what time it is. It's time to crumble up the paper, see if I can make it in the hoop there. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Zach Womble MSP. You can follow the show at FCP underscore MSP. Let's see if I can put her in. Over, over. Still haven't made one this week. I'll catch you next week. This has been Full Court Press with Zach Womble, part of the Sumner County Sports Podcast, a Main Street Media production.